Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. How do you respond to new technology? Are you open, curious, and neutral, or hesitant, fearful, and convinced that life as we know it is over? Heather Crank is a motion designer and visual artist exploring the world of AI-generated art with daily morning meditations created in mid-journey. In our conversation, she shares her positive take on the potential for AI tools in creative work and the broader world. Heather also explores a few areas of concern from ethics and copyrights to the responsibility to ensure AI truly reflects all of humanity. We also touch on how she overcame imposter syndrome, her love for Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, and the importance of being gentle with yourself. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 663. I think what's filling my curiosity tank is the creativity I see coming out, kind of exploding on the scene, um, especially with AI art. But in general, it seems like since like the pandemic kind of brought out a lot of the artists um, because they helped us survive being locked in our houses. And I feel like there was this momentum and also with um, some of the things that were happening in the world that were so painful it's the time for the artist to shine. And I feel like we just keep ratcheting it up and I just keep seeing more and more and more and more and more amazing things happening. So that's what's filling me up. Yeah. What are some of those amazing things that you're seeing just that you can't stop looking at and exploring? Well, all the AI art that's coming out actually on the Discord channel, there's a whole community around the what's happening with AI. And I'm always just really curious to see how people respond to new technology and what they do. And then I also have noticed that there this is my favorite part about new technology. There are people who aren't artists that are using the visual language of AI to do amazing things that I would never predict. I saw an article the other day about some scientists who used mid-journey to create imaging of the body. And I would have never in a million years thought to do that because I'm not a scientist. I'm, I'm not a doctor. But in the beginning phase of any new technology, you have all the disruptors and all the people who will take it and use it in their own method, but it will be in a really different way. Yeah. So that's like, I, I just no words. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. It, there, there are some unbelievable things being produced. And I have to say one of my favorite channels other than yours is the, uh, the pug AI art. <laughs> Not seen that. Oh my God. Yes. You must send me the link. I will, but it's like, <laughs> these unbelievable portraits of pugs, like in all of these different like scenarios of like steampunk to, you know, like uh, sculptures. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> That's technology done right. I just have to say, for those of you who don't know, Chris has the most adorable black pug ever named Cosmo. Yes. He is a stinker, but we love him. <laughs> Shout out to the pug. Got Shout love. out to the pug. Yeah. One of the things that I appreciate about you, Heather, is like you have such a positive take on AI 
art mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. right now there's so much fear mongering when it comes to that. How do you mm -hmm. how do you stay positive about what's going on? I really just see it as a tool. Um, and I also know it's brand new, so it's going to change a lot. And I know there's a lot going on around copyright infringement right now in the way that the AI is actually trained. And there's a difference between copyright and when you, what's the word? You create the work, you change the work enough and you create it in your own interest. There's a word like transformation or something like that that is used for that, that takes it away from the original intent and moves into a different intent. Mm -hmm. So I see where some of the issues are coming from. I know a lot of people are really afraid, but it really depends on how you use it, why you use it, and then making it your own. I see this massive amount of potential in AI, which is really exciting to me. And I think that some of the issues will have to be ironed out here pretty quickly. But I also see that there is so much potential that we are just scratching the surface of what this is capable of. And I really love and embrace new technology and change. I'm never afraid of it. <laughs> and I, my mindset is, what can we do with this that's positive? What can we do with this that can impact society in a way that is really beneficial? Because mm -hmm. every technology has a dark side. I mean, every it, I mean, you know, like oh, when Einstein developed his amazing theories, there could have been incredible things done with it and we made a bomb. There's always a light-dark component. So it just depends on where your focus is. I love that light-dark component because oftentimes there's this push, there's this drive to only have the light side of technology, the light, the utopian nature of technology. <laughs> But it's just like, not everyone is a moral, ethical person. <laughs> no, no. And and also, the fact that we are so multifaceted helps people have jobs because now we have lawyers and copyright people and there's AI ethics will be an emerging field. So, you know, you have the people who kind of hold the guardrails on technology. But I think we can't deny that we are multifaceted. We're all light and dark. We all do things that have sort of a spectrum to our behavior. And I think it's sort of idealistic to think that people will always do the right thing. They're not going to. So I think uh, being honest and realistic about human nature is also really important. Yeah. It's so interesting that you can have such a human-focused conversation and around AI when people are afraid that we'll, it will strip us of our humanity. <laughs> oh, this is so funny to me because AI is trained on us and what we put into the web. It's reflecting back ourself. It's reflecting back society. And some of that is not great. Like the, the representation of non-white people is not great, but it's also showing us we don't value those images as much because they are not as prevalent. They're not being trained. And I think um, there is a whole conversation to be had around this, which will benefit us ultimately. But humans created AI. So it's up to us 
how we want to engage with this and what is humanity anyway? Like this is a whole, I mean, like if you want to go down this rabbit hole, this is a whole thing of we developed tools to make our lives easier and we created a society and structure and way of working that made uh, automation very appealing because we're exhausted. It's going too fast. The workload's too intense. We can't keep up the costs versus what people are paid. So if we don't like what's showing up, then it's up to us to change the way we show up. That's my two cents. No, that's great. (laughs) Give give me a dollar of your wisdom here. (laughs) What's so great about that, though, is like it brings the responsibility back to us. That's right. Because I think a lot of the conversation is about what's being taken from us. Right. As opposed to recognizing that the responsibility will always be upon us. That's right. Yeah. I get, I understand, you know, I, as someone who's, uh, creates a lot of visual work myself, I understand you don't want your work stolen. You don't want somebody taking something you spent a really long time developing and using it as their own. And my feeling on that is just don't do that with AI. You do not have to use AI in a way that is dependent on ripping off somebody else. If you use it as a way to create a comp or sort of an initial conversation, and then you create your own work out of it, that's great. That's great. And AI doesn't directly copy anyway, but I I do think this is a whole big, messy conversation that's way overdue anyway. So. No, it's, I mean, what's the difference between generating AI art and, you know, using a song as a placeholder in your, in your film before you get the music from your composer? Exactly. Exactly. And what about things like collage art? What about if, like, for example, if I'm designing and I have a whole vision board about where we're going to go, that's not my work. Mm-hmm. I don't create trends. I follow trends. If somebody created a trend and I want to follow that trend, am I ripping them off? Yes. Is everybody ripping it off because it's a trend? Yes. So, you know, it's a really difficult conversation. And I feel like artists in general have always uh, received the short end of the stick as far as being compensated for their time and their talent. And I get it. What I'd like to see is I'd like to see artists get in the conversation because it's not going away. The genie is out of the bottle. You can't stop it, but you can have a voice. And I really want to see more artists just get in there and get involved and understand it so they know how to speak to it. Yeah. How do they do that? Especially artists that aren't technical. It's so I think that there's, a zillion tutorials on YouTube right now because it's a super hot thing. Um, like Hansel. Like what? Like Hansel. Like Hansel? What? Z- Sorry, Zoolander reference. Oh. <laughs> Hansel's so hot right now. God, you're killing I'll, me. I'll oh. edit that out. <laughs> oh, you don't have to. You don't have to. Um, yeah, you just get on the YouTube, you know, and and there's a lot of really beginning tutorials. It's not that hard. It really isn't. You just need to learn just a couple things and then just practice. I love the notion of practice too, because there, a day doesn't go by where I don't see your morning meditations. <laughs> and yes. I love that you've, in a sense, 
called it something like meditations because mm -hmm. it, it removes it from it, I think it removes it from the maybe self-importance or the hustle bro or <laughs> tech bro sphere of influence into this is me just breathing life into art. Mm -hmm. I like that approach. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, I just wanted to play with it mm -hmm. and see what it could do. And because I can generate imagery so quickly, quickly in air quotes, I'm making air quotes here. It allows me to sort of explore what I'm thinking about and warm up creatively. It really is just a reflection. You're you're seeing my thought process visually um, and how I kind of set creatively the tone of the day. It is definitely not bro related. <laughs> there is no there's no outcome, there's no metric, there's nothing to be measured. It's just pure expression, which I honestly really hadn't allowed myself to do for a long time because I was so focused on, you know, making a living and survival that this really kind of gave me some space and time to, for myself to, and then to share it. Like, here's what's happening in my brain. Here's how I think. Here's how I visually communicate with people without any pressure or any client or any agenda. That had to have been a surprise how much you took to it. It was so weirdly easy for me and kind of magnetic. I do feel like there is a language component to it. And that's kind of a part of myself I had let go a long time ago. So when I re-engaged it, it's like it just really lit up. Like some part of me just was, I don't know how to describe this. It just sort of it's like I had been asleep for a really long time and it just woke back up and was so happy to be acknowledged. So that was a really beautiful thing. And I realized I need to uh, pay more attention to that part of myself. Yeah. So that was, that was a really cool thing. That is cool. And I think it, it, it speaks to that struggle that we often face as professional artists to make a living thinking that we have to shut part of ourselves off in order to make a living, how has embracing that silent part of yourself, the part that you sh shoved away and into a corner and said, don't come out until I tell you, <laughs> how has that entered into your professional work? It's interesting. I think not only is there the pressure, the client pressure, but also in different fields are sort of a peer pressure to fit in and, and kind of be a certain type of person. It's just been really wonderful, actually. I feel like it's allowed me to be visible in the most authentic way I think I have ever been able ever been able to um, because I was so afraid in some of the environments I was in because I didn't quite fit in because I am and always have been kind of on the edge of fine art, working in design or community um, to survive. Mm -hmm. But there's a big chunk of me that I won't bring to the table if I'm in certain groups. So allowing that part of my personality to be seen, mm -hmm. that's a big deal for me. Yeah. And to just let it breathe a little bit, it actually kind of... 
was very relaxing. And I was kind of really able to let go of a lot of stuff that I felt like I had to do or had to be perceived as. And I, I actually just had, this also came about with being really sick for a couple months was I just dropped the imposter syndrome. Like it's just gone. That whatever I was putting between myself and other people, this process, um, it was sort of like, just like a, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> Do I, you know, like there's something about being so sick and there's something about giving yourself permission to be really honest about who you are and why you're showing up and doing that a hundred percent. Um, because either I wasn't well enough to fight, which is unusual for me because I'm, you know, um, I don't know how to not fight. So that, that sort of dissolved. And then the barrier between what I want to do, who I am and how I express, it's just, it just dissolved. It just sort of, the fear just, left Mm. i mean there's so many questions that i have because (laughs) i think we've all been there and Mm -hmm. and all of our paths out of that place is so different like sometimes it's sickness sometimes it's poverty sometimes it's exhaustion and and i love that that when people are honest about how they're getting out it gives us the the hope and the desire to to see a new way as well yeah i i really feel like pain is a great teacher i think i've said this before it's it's i won't say my favorite teacher because i don't really enjoy it um but it is it is a really powerful teacher in surrender and i'm just such a stubborn fighter that for me, things like poverty, things like a pandemic, things like uh, being sick, things like not fitting in and being rejected over and over and over, all of those things have a component to it that start to chip away at my perceived ego or need for approval. Mm-hmm. And to get to a place of just acceptance about this is just how I show up and who I am and some people will like it and some people won't and it's okay. Mm-hmm. To be able to even say that, I had to go through a lot of really hard stuff. Yeah. Because a part of me that was like, no, you can't do that. That's not okay. That's not acceptable. You need to be responsible. You need to make money. It needs to look like this. You need to make this amount. Mm-hmm. You need to be responsible, which was really eclipsing a lot of my creativity, which I know happens to <laughs> so many people because it's really hard to be in fight or flight like that and be using all the great creative energy of your brain. And I couldn't be honest about who I was. And I know people felt that. And then that sort of increased people's reaction to me were like, they didn't trust me Hmm. fully, even though I am, I am a very trustworthy person, but because they sensed there was something I wasn't being honest or I wasn't bringing my full self to the table or I was hiding something or holding back. People mm. sense that. Yeah. So there was a whole like, you know, ripple effect going on. And it really took me quite a bit of difficult uh, experience to surrender. Oh, that's powerful. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, it's one thing to like, it say in theory this is what you should do 
it's another thing to have lived it and and to say this is where I've been. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's when we tell those stories of the other side and and what you've gone through to get to that other side that that people feel like it's okay to take that step because mm-hmm. um, there's someone over there that's been there and I can relate to that and and yeah. I trust like you you said trustworthiness and and now that you've gone through that pain I think that's what enables trust again yeah there's also sort of a vulnerability yeah you, you know like I don't have anything to prove anymore <laughs> and <laughs> I don't care yeah and I don't know about you, but I lost a lot of things during the pandemic, you know, financial and people and all kinds of stuff. And it really kind of reset uh, my life. And so, um, yeah, I just don't care. I don't care. (laughs) I was just having that conversation with my wife earlier of just like getting to that point of I don't care is it's like it seems like it can be just like a finger snap where you're just like, I finally don't care, but there's all the emotional baggage leading up to that snap of, of just tired of dragging it with you. Yeah. I, I actually posted something the other day. I, I can't remember the whole thing, but it was the gist of it was, and one day you just wake up mm-hmm. and you take your power back and your whole life changes. And it really does happen like that. Like just in a, a second, but leading up to that, man, man, oh man, is that intense? <laughs> it is intense. And I, I think that part of the pandemic was, you know, just, I don't know if we finally got to stop gaslighting ourselves, mm-hmm. but I think it was that point of just like, for me, it was re-emerging back into society under my terms. Yes. And recognizing what I really wanted. Yes, that's it. That is it, a hundred percent. And I'm, I'm still like, I don't know about you, but I'm still a little wobbly in the coming back into society and my social skills. I'm like, whoa, okay, okay, you, you've got this. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's like I, I'm still getting used to people. I'm mm-hmm. still getting used to um, seeing people face to face, and that I can leave my house. Like it's okay. Yeah, it was it was a uh, it was very difficult, but I see it as a tremendous gift because I think it would have taken me years to get to this place if that hadn't happened. I hear in our conversation what it means to be the hero of your own story. And I, <laughs> I love that tagline of yours. <laughs> be the hero of your own story. I mean Yeah. I mean that's just powerful. Well, you think about like I think about these things all the time. First of all, I love Joseph Campbell, big fan, um, and I love the hero's journey. I, I've used it. I was taught it as a little kid by my grandma, and I've used it a lot of my life uh, to kind of help me navigate things. Mm-hmm. And nobody is going to save you. You have to be your own hero. You have to stand up for yourself and navigate your your own way in your own life. And I think that being your own hero and not needing to be saved is a hugely powerful thing because then that involves self-compassion, self-healing, revelation, 
self-development, it all comes back. It's the same thing we were talking about earlier. I'm coming back to it again, where we're responsible yeah. and it comes back to us always. And I think at the end of the hero's journey, I don't know, cause I'm not at the end yet, but, <laughs> but I think at the end we, we find ourselves, right. Which is where, what we were seeking in the beginning anyway, but we just come back. It's just a full circle. So I think being your own hero is the key to, to anything, really anything you want to do, any difficult experience, recognizing that you have everything that you need. Yeah. And I think recognizing what you want and how you yes. want to live. Yes. Because artists have a really hard time accepting what they want. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Accepting it and acknowledging that you really want that thing. Like, oh, how many years is I trying to seem important or do this thing or do that thing and really rejecting the part of myself that really wanted to come forward and giving that kind of permission is really hard. Mm-hmm. It's really artists. This world is so tough for artists. It really is. And if you're not in a commercial industry, it's even harder. Yeah. It's hard to make a living. It's hard to survive, you know, I don't know about your family, but my family was like, you know, you need to go work at Trader Joe's. (laughs) They have good benefits. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you doing? You're so stubborn, you know, so. Why would you want to leave that job? They were ready to promote you. What's going on? What's wrong with you? Why are you destroying your life? (laughs) Yeah, why are you destroying your life? You're making terrible choices, you know, and it's like, if you're really an artist, you know it and there is no choice and you've got to do it. And then getting to that point of like, oh my God, I have to do this thing. Like I have to, I have to figure out how to do this thing. That in itself is a big burden and learning how to navigate it is hard. And, and something that just popped into my head is like, there's always that part of the story of descending into hell and oh, yeah. be reborn <laughs> and no one wants to descend into hell. No. I mean, no way. I mean, my God, like I fought tooth and nail. Like I was like, no, I am not going there. It's not, (laughs) it's not going to happen. And it was just like, you know, thing after thing just like kept happening. And I was just falling and falling and falling and falling and falling. And then boom, I was like, yeah, here we are. Yeah. But it's, it's a hard place to be. And there's some really difficult choices in in that kind of space. Um, there are, to me anyway, they seem pretty, is this a yes or is this a no? A little more black and white decision-making there. Um, is this going to destroy you or are you going to get up? Is yeah. this going to, you know, end part of yourself or are you going to face this horrible thing in you that you don't like? And resolve it and come back up. You you can stay in hell forever. I mean, I could have stayed there if I really didn't want to see what I was being asked to look at by the experience. Mm-hmm. I could have been there for a decade. Yeah. It's a nobody wants to go there. It's an easy place to get stuck. It's hard to get out because there's so much oh, difficult decision making. Yeah. And and it's really easy, I'm only speaking from experience, to continually blame your like circumstances 
and paint mm-hmm. yourself as a victim. Oh my God, the victim thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a hard one, especially if there's any kind of shame involved. I was just talking with someone about how um, difficult an emotion shame is. Yeah. Yeah. Realizing, at least for me, that I am totally responsible for what I'm creating. And if I was raised in a certain way with certain experiences, it's still my responsibility to say yes or no. I will take on that mantle or I won't. And what is created from those choices. And I th- I also think that's just part of the maturing process too, is learning how to be fully responsible for your life, what you say yes to, and how you show up. Super super important, but that's also where the power lies. Mm-hmm. And that's the tricky part is that the power, your power, personal power isn't something outside of you. It's how you show up in yourself. Yeah. What's so interesting about that too is, is you can look at someone like you who for years you were championing other people <laughs> and were so hesitant to step forward mm-hmm. to be championed by others. Mm-hmm. But now I see you walking in tandem as a champion and a, someone who's being championed. And, and I, love, I love that acceptance of both of those mantles. Oh, geez. Thank you. It's hard, though. It's, it's really hard um, because I think I had a weird idea about what humility is and the way I was raised about humility for me was, you know, uh, not being seen, you know, and I mean, I'm naturally kind, but uh, serving other people, it, you know, is a component of that. And those are all really great qualities, but I really was not allowed to kind of have a voice or kind of be seen. It was always kind of be the person and the supporter in the background. So that was my natural role. And I still, Honestly, I still champion people all the time. It sometimes it's just like in the background, you don't know I'm doing it. <laughs> like I might recommend people I love to be on a podcast. Right. But it's true. I I have finally kind of got to a point where I realized that there's a difference between true humility and false humility, and that it's not about being seen versus unseen. It's about being honest to yourself. And if I'm honest to myself, I have something to say along with the people I champion, and I would like to walk with them. That's what I feel. But, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have said that's really arrogant. <laughs> that's what I love about life, though, is like we get a like step away from what we truly think is arrogant towards walking together with people. Because I think there's always that fear of being perceived as arrogant or being arrogant. Yeah. And and yet, I mean, as an artist, it, it seems to me that that just holds us back. Because I think we confuse what being arrogant really is. Yeah. I mean, if you think about if you were a little kid and you're with another little kid and you both wanted to go be on a stage in a play. 
you would just go do it because you wanted to do it. And you were like, yeah, I want to do that thing. And there would not be any confusion there about, is this the right thing to be doing? Am I arrogant? Is that too much focus on me? Like, I don't know where that happens, but I feel like somehow that process, it's like I personally lost my ability to have joy and freedom and spontaneity Mm-hmm. And to just do things out of the joy of doing them because the self-judgment was too loud. Yeah. So I don't know where we learn that stuff, but it is, uh, I feel like it's not beneficial to anybody. No. Oh. And yet it's, it's, I love that description of we don't know where we learn it from, but it's there. It's there. It's there. And, you know, okay, like there are some people who are arrogant and I have friends who are, they are a little bit arrogant, but I, I love that about them because that's part of who they are. And I'm like, oh man, here we go. Here's person X, you know, but I laugh about it because it's charming to me. Right. But if it was me, I would judge it so harshly. And I think, that's the other thing is things that we judge about ourselves may be really charming to other people. And so you just, it's important to be gentle. Yeah. It's so hard to get out of our heads sometimes on, <laughs> you know, when we create something, you know, whether we perceive it to need to be perfect or, Ugh. or like something else, but, just getting who we are out into the world so that people can enjoy us. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's, that's hard to wrestle with sometimes. It, it's really hard. I mean, there's part of me to, you know, before I went through all this where I would just, my stomach, every time I had to do something publicly or put something out, my stomach would just be in knots. And then yeah. for weeks I would be like, Oh my God, was that okay? I don't know if that was all right. And I would just have that. I'm sure you have this same thing. I would just be like uh, (laughs) the two weeks of cringing and overanalyzing. And, you know, there's just no freedom in that. Like, it's just so pointless. So yeah, I think not caring is really, really important. I, I wrestled with that recently when I was putting together the first episode of the series the documentary series for getting work to work Mm -hmm. where I was laying in bed one night and I'm, and I just heard you can't do this. You don't, you don't, don't do this. It's not perfect. It doesn't match what this person is doing over here. This person is doing over here. And eventually I just said, no, I'm going to do it. (laughs) I, 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 I can't not do it. That's it. That's and, it. That's it. And and if it's not great, it's not great, but it has to get done. Yeah. And and I think that's where standing up to those voices, they're all internal. No mm-hmm. one's saying not to do it. I'm the mm-hmm. one in my head laying in mm-hmm. bed going, you're an idiot. And the, the, it's such a horrible voice to listen to. Yeah. I actually, I wonder where that book is. I think it was... Um, Maybe right before the pandemic, Chris Doe gave me a book recommendation, which was about the inner voice, and I totally blew him off. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I read it later, and it's true. And I remember part of that book, it said that um, that critical inner voice is something that we learn as children, and it 
comes from outside of us and we internalize it because as, as children, we don't have the emotional ability to understand people's feelings or experiences. So we internalize it and think it's about us, even though it might be something so simply stupid. And then we carry this weird voice around in our head for our whole life. And the book actually says, if you hear some critical voice in your head, take a moment to identify where it's coming from and try and trace its source. I did try that. And I was in, it's a very interesting experience. And they're right. You don't show up as a baby with a critical inner voice. That doesn't, it's not there. How often does tracing that critical inner voice lead to imaginary voices and imaginary <laughs> people? You know, I have a whole group of, of characters <laughs> going on in my head. And I just, I, I literally will ask myself, okay, so is this a real or is this a story you're telling yourself? And where is this coming from? Yeah. And where is reality? Actually, that's a regular practice of mine because um, actually I talk with my husband a lot about this too, where it's so easy to make up stories and live in them mm -hmm. that aren't true, that aren't grounded in reality, that are based off something that happened. And I might, I might not have conscious awareness of even where that stupid thing came from, right. but there I am going to project it into my future. And um, so I'm trying to become more and more conscious of that. Yeah, that's good. I think, I think it's important for people to really pay attention to this, of what mm -hmm. we're both saying about the stories we tell ourselves, because yep. um, it can really hold you back. Oftentimes people say, how, how can I get my creative project out into the world? And then <laughs> I would say, learn how to <laughs> learn how to soothe that inner voice and move yep. past it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is with that inner voice, too, it, it doesn't go away. It just gets louder. And the more visible you become and the more you, in my experience, move into the spotlight and are getting attention, that inner voice, boy, it just gets really loud. It's kind of, it's almost like it's demanding that you pay attention to it. Yeah. So, and, and maybe that's true. Maybe the reason that it's so loud is it's being ignored mm. and it, it wants you to acknowledge that part of yourself and then you are free. One of the interesting things that I think about what you do is mm -hmm. the fact that both you and your husband are artists. Yeah. <laughs> what is yeah. what is that dynamic like if you're willing to share? Because we often think of being an artist as a solo experience, but when mm -hmm. you live with an artist as well, mm -hmm. that has to create an interesting dynamic at times. Yes. <laughs> it's really hard, Chris. Really, really hard because... Oh. Because we're both going through the same things and we're always in different phases of the same things. Um, we actually work really well together and we inspire each other. But there's like any kind of artistic project, there's a level of vulnerability and pain. Yeah. <laughs> with that? So, yeah, it's it's a it's really wonderful and it's really inspiring. And it there's a lot of fighting and there's um a lot of growth that comes out of it, but it's, it is difficult because we're so much the same in so many ways that there's no one balancing it out. Like one of us, one of us has to get it together. If, if we're having conflict to 
be the one to step back and have the perspective. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not easy, uh, but it's also really wonderful. I think that's, that's an important part of the story that I don't think it's shared enough is when artists are married to each other or <laughs> partnered with each other Yes, and, and being honest about the, the hard things, but also I love being inspired by what my wife does. You know, she's just stepping into being an artist. And so she's at a different phase of life than I am. Mm -hmm. And yet there's always something wonderful to learn from that, from that excitement of just like, I learned how to kern today, you know, that oh kind of thing, you know, and even the fact that she knows what kerning is, you know, makes, makes my heart be <laughs> a little bit stronger, but you know, it's, but it early in our marriage, it was so challenging to consider that we could both be an artist. Yeah, there's and then there's a financial component to that, yes. to that too, right? Like technically, I'm usually the the breadwinner because of my particular skill set. Um, I can move between commercial art and fine art, whereas my husband, he's pretty much fine art. Yeah, it can be complicated. I think you need super super good communication skills. Yes, and patience. Yes. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned balancing forces because, you know, I think that's that's why we got a pug is it creative <laughs> balance to, I think, that imagination of of seeing something and chasing after it, but recognizing that you got to feed the dog. Yeah, right. We have two cats, so it's the same thing. Like yeah. there are specific important things that help ground and balance things out mm -hmm. uh, and ha keep um, connected to reality and pets are a great thing. Taxes are also really good for that. <laughs> and, you know, exercise is also, uh, getting out in nature, walking, moving, you know, um, it just helps having, uh, a routine yeah. and specific things that pull us back into, we need to be responsible and take care of ourselves and make sure we're eating and make sure we're doing the right things for our own benefits yeah because it's really easy to be idealistic at least for us yes mm -hmm. yes and what i what i love heather about our conversation today is that i think we've talked about so many different components of living an artistic creative life that i think to circle back to ai okay this is the good stuff that you put into a prompt to see what gets generated because I think, you know, a lot of our life is a prompt. It's it's a prompt that we live that generates an outcome in ourselves. Um, and and I think that's not something that we think enough about. I think you're right. I, I really do feel that the AI is a ref it's a reflective tool. And I think that's also why a lot of therapists are beginning to use AI um so much. It's in art therapy. It's yeah. really kind of being, um, a, what's the word, adopted by those fields because it is such a reflective, meditative, or it can be process because it's using words and words activate certain places in your brain and create certain responses. And then you have a visual component with it, which is really powerful. So I think there's a lot of power 
with AI for self-reflection. And you can do that with art, which is why I do the morning meditations. But uh, I think there's a huge benefit to it. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the one time I did free association, like I started laughing because I was thinking about really weird things. But, you know, I, I, so it didn't actually go anywhere, but I could see how with artificial intelligence, free association could actually lead to some better conversations mm-hmm. when discussing that, that visual artifact that's created. Yeah, it just kind of gives your mind, keeps your mind occupied in a way so that as you continue to go deeper, your mind is distracted by the the shiny object and doesn't try and prevent you from discovering what's underneath it. I think it's hugely beneficial and um, I just love it. I mean, I just, I don't know where it's going. I don't know what's going to happen with it. I'm definitely being trolled as much as People are appreciating me because there is such a backlash. But January next year, it should be really interesting to see where we are. Are you surprised by the people trolling you? Some of them I am. Um, Some of them are my friends. Hmm. (laughs) And they're really upset with me uh, for being involved with AI because they feel like I, uh, as an artist, I should know better because I am, um, what was the word someone used? taking advantage of other artists basically in their work and i try to explain that's not how i'm using it yeah and i get their concern so it's just more i'm just more in a sort of um, listening place absorbing what people are saying and what their concerns are Mm -hmm. and you know some people have become really 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 aggressive with me and misunderstood my intention and so i'm just kind of watching it it's so good that you've gone through this journey because now I get the impression that being trolled isn't the wrecking ball that it might have been a year ago, two years ago. Oh, yeah. It would have leveled me. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm just like, oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. It's kind of yeah. like what you said as a reflective tool. It also reflects the intentions and fears of other people. It amplifies it. Yeah. For sure. It's it it's it's a really weird thing. Like if you get outside of the fact that it's using Google images to be trained and to create new imagery from what it's been trained on. If you step back from that and you think about where those images it trained on came from, why they're in the social lexicon in the first place, it's a whole different conversation. And I think when we get too close like that, we lose the perspective of what we could be learning in the process. And I really would encourage people to step back from the hot button issue and look at the broader social kind of context about what AI is showing us. I love that. Yeah, it's basically holding up a giant mirror it is. Yeah. It really is. And I think we have so much of that going on in general in society right now that this is like another level of it. And of course, it just brings up so much emotion, right? It's really hard to look at some of this stuff and, and the way we've structured and created the way we live with each other. And I think it will be interesting to see what we do with this. Well, Heather, 
you've already given so many wise sayings and, and points throughout this conversation, but is there one thing that you would like people to take away from the time that we've just spent together? I think growth is an endless thing and you never really arrive at any particular place. And, um, I personally feel like it's really important to stay open and curious and as neutral as possible in your creative journey so that you can embrace and discover things that you might be, might've been unable to absorb or unwilling to experience previously, because you never know what doors those are going to open. Like I couldn't have predicted what's happening to me right now, even a year ago. If you would have told me there was going to be artificial intelligence that would come online and I would start creating visual meditations and all of a sudden people would be commissioning me to create work, I would I would have laughed at you. I'd been like, no, you're crazy. I'm a motion designer. Yeah. But the more we relax those um, identity parameters and stay open, so much can happen and not being attached to outcomes. Well, before we got on this call, you sent a lovely list of inspiration points, and I'll add them to the show links page for this episode. But are there one or two that you'd like to, to share with the listeners right now? I've been looking at um, Tanya, I may butcher her last name, Marcus, I think. She's a photographer. She has this really lovely process and gave this incredible talk at Woodstock, the Woodstock Photographic Center the other day. day. And I just think there's something so beautiful about her work and the way she is focused on the environment, but also an interesting commentary around uh, what we've been all been going through collectively. So I would definitely check out her work. And then I also have been reading a lot of my friend Philip J. Clayton on Medium, and he just has, the way his mind works is really beautiful and interesting. And I really encourage you to read some of his stuff. It's just really lovely. Whether it's creating AI-generated visual art with MidJourney or perhaps using ChatGPT to reimagine your website content or even podcast scripts, how will you explore new technology for your creative pursuits? I'm not opposed to using them myself, but I don't spend nearly enough time thinking about or exploring the possibilities. Perhaps I need to do what Heather recommended and spend some time learning on YouTube. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.